last name soon to change in a few short months. And I am your leadership guru, strategist, consultant, um, what it, I'm an educator, um, all of these things, but ultimately what I'm here to do is to serve my mission and serve my calling and serve my purpose. And my purpose is to live unapologetically and help women like yourself be able to usher that um, usher your own unapologeticness so that you can stand up in your authentic self, so that you can live fearless, so that you can live in your full beauty and live to be the woman that you are divinely inspired to be because it is my belief that as you become more of who you are, you really are able to serve more um, from your gifts and from your core in there in order to change this world. So that's, um, that's, that's a little bit about who I am. And I want to give a little bit of context before we start talking about this self-love challenge and, um, and start talking about, um, you know, some concrete things that I want you to consider. I want to talk a little bit about where I'm coming from and what inspired this self-love challenge. Um, one thing you will find out about me is if I am nothing, I am transparent. And in my transparency, I am imperfect. I am flawed, but I've learned to embrace those imperfections and embrace those flaws because not only does it help me to um, make sense of the world and help me to show up as fully human and help me to be able to see how my, my journey connects, I've learned that as I stand up and be more clear about how I come to this work and how I come to, um, to this place, that it really invites and encourages other women to do the same. Um, what's in that cup though? Samira, you know. You must have heard Miss Parrot that that um, it is some crown and pineapple, and I've only had a couple of sips. So before I tell you a little bit about my journey and how I came to this self love challenge, I'm going to excuse my child from the room. So I gave, I told her she can be in here um, until. I say not to take your phone. I'll give her the text message when it's come time to come back. Because any of y'all who have been on a call with me know that she is full ear hustling. Hey. Hey, it's right. Go close that door. And when you go in your room, close your door too. Fine. is gonna stay in here. That's fine. Because she'll be asking me questions later that I'm not really trying to answer. So about um, I'll I'll try to give the quick and dirty. The quick and dirty is that in 2011, so that's what seven years ago. Huh, seven is the year of completion. Um, I was contemplating this question of what does it mean to love? What does it mean to to be fully invested in yourself? Because at the time, I was in a relationship that was extremely toxic. I didn't know it then and I wasn't able to to name that that's where it was. But what I did know was that I felt like everything that I had worked for, um, much of it I had obtained, but I was extremely sad. I was extremely depressed. It felt like that picking up and grasping happiness felt like trying to pick up water through my hands. It just kept slipping through and I could not figure out what more do I need to do in order to get this love that I deserved and in order to get this life that I deserved? At that time, I had, um, when I first started writing this, I think I was on my second miscarriage. Um, and that year would, would see my third miscarriage. And what some of the clues were to me that I was deeply unhappy and deeply um, depressed as well was that. 
I kept thinking that I was doing the right things. So I had done the right things in terms of, you know, with my education. I had gone to the best private school in California. It's probably one of the best in the country, all girls school. And where 20% of my class went on to Stanford and the rest of us went on to Ivy Leagues. So I had gotten into an Ivy League university and attended. I finished in four years. I went straight into education. Um, I I did all of the right things in terms of, you know, what my career was supposed to be. I also um, had really believed in this, this traditionally Christian idea about saving yourself from marriage. So while I was not a virgin, I was very, very... Um, conservative when it came to expressing my sexuality. So yes, I'm a lesbian. Like in case y'all don't know that, I'm definitely gay, like gay as fuck, as my friends say. But I was not, like I didn't have sex when I was in high school. And even when I started to become sexually active in college, I was very, very limited. Like I think I had two partners by the time I was 25 or 26 or something like that. And because I had this really traditional idea that sex is for marriage and you only date for marriage and the whole goal of relationships is to have this long term forever after. So I had done that right. So I so I thought I got married when I was 28 or 29. I can't remember. And I also. Um, had bought my first house in my 20s. And, you know, again, part of the, the American dream or the American, the black American dream, at least, of, you know, do the right things so that you can buy, your, get your house and your, your white picket fence and your kids and all of those things. And it felt like, you know, I was destined to be the Cosbys. But fast forward to 2011 and I was deeply unhappy. And despite all of my hard work, things were not panning out for me. I was in a job where I was busting my ass and half of the schools I supported I was doing really well with and the other half they were complaining and wanting to get their money back because they were not satisfied with the service that I was providing um, like I said about the miscarriages and what was challenging about that was that it was I at that time I was diagnosed as unknown infertility so you know what the fuck is going on um, I I had foreclosed on my house which was at the time, I didn't see how it was my fault because I did everything right. I was making my mortgage payments on time. I did everything I was supposed to. And then um, the the housing crisis hit. So everyone in my neighborhood started foreclosing, which meant that my, um, my property value lost literally 50% of its value in less than a year. And so when I was moving to Texas at the time and wanting to sell, I couldn't sell my house. And then renting it out wasn't making, wasn't, the rent wasn't adding up to my mortgage. And so here I was working, I was working two jobs with my Ivy League degrees and still not making ends meet. And so on top of that, I'm in this relationship where I feel really unhappy. And I was, and I had been of the belief that if I just keep giving you all of me and keep trying to be better as a partner, as a wife, as a mother, then you're going to eventually give me what I need. How many people have ever believed that? If I give you what you need, you're going to eventually give me what I need. Um, at least that's what I thought the story went because that's all that I saw. And guess what, y'all? Fast forward, if you know anything about me, you know I'm definitely happily divorced because that didn't work. But the work that I started to do at that time and that translated into, into the future is that I learned that in writing, 
I was able to make sense of the world. In writing, I was able to ask myself the tough questions that I wasn't willing to ask out loud. In writing, I was able to process the things that I was going through in therapy. And so I began to write my freedom. I began to write out those questions and then even dare myself to write the answers to them. And it came across and it came about into a series about exploring about what does it mean to really love yourself. So that's the beginnings. I can talk for hours and hours about my story, but I believe that that gives us a solid place about where to start for our work tonight. So one of the things that I've learned, and I'm sorry, this is a crucial part. So fast forward, did the work or so I thought, um, divorced my wife at the time, had tremendous guilt and shame about that divorce and really wondering if I had done everything that I was supposed to to make the marriage work and got back with my wife a year after our divorce was final. We stayed together for another two years um, and she left me. That's, that's the truth of it. She left me and I was devastated. And in that devastation, I felt once again that I had failed and I couldn't figure out what was true anymore in this world. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what was real. I didn't know really anything. And I felt like I was free falling. You guys remember those dreams where um, you feel like you're off the egg, edge of the cliff and you just feel that that fall? That was how my life felt in, in real life every single day. And that that feeling that I was scrambling and falling and couldn't find a solid ground to fall, to, to fall on landed me in therapy. I was in crisis. And I remember the first question, one of the first exercises that my therapist had me do was to, we talked about what some of my goals were and my biggest goal for 2017, uh, I think I had about three or four goals. One of my goals was to go on one date. I wanted to be brave enough to go on one date. And why that's funny is because clearly I went on more than one date and I'm all the way engaged. But what that work involved me to do was to get over my fear of, of being connected to someone. And what I learned through that work was that my fear of being connected to someone, because I thought that if I was able, if I'm connected with someone again, that they're going to leave me, was that a fear that revealed two things. One, I realized that I thought being connected to someone gave them power over me. What I mean by that is if I'm fearing that they're going to leave me, that really revealed that they had a power over me and a control over who I am that would dictate my value. That's really what was underlying it. And then as I started to explore that, I realized I don't know who I am. Like, truthfully. I didn't know who I am, who I was. I didn't know how I liked my eggs. I didn't know if I even liked eggs. I didn't know what to buy in the grocery store. I didn't know what kind of movies I like to see. I didn't know how I like to spend my Saturdays because I had spent my entire adulthood being partnered with someone and their, what they wanted was what I wanted. What I wanted was for them to be comfortable and for them to be happy. So we joke about that coming to America, whatever it is that you desire. But truthfully, that's what I was living. And I was doing that for two reasons. One, I thought it was easier to go along with what that other person wanted. It was just easier, cause less tension and to toxic toxicity and, and conflict. 
But also, it was that still underlying belief that if I give you what you want, then you're going to eventually give me what I want. But the problem was I didn't know what I wanted or what I needed, and I made someone else responsible for that. So last year kicked off. I shouldn't say kicked off, but it really it, it closed. Um, it brought full circle the journey that I needed to be on that I began in 2011. So here are some things that I went through the beginnings of. And so all I have to say that this self-love challenge is um, in honor of that. It's in reflection of that. And it's the things that I know to be tried and true for me and work that I've done and I've piloted with other people that I know that works. So here's a place where you take a deep breath. Breathe with me. Breathe out through your mouth. We take a deep breath in. And we breathe out through our mouth. And we do the breathing in and out of our mouth because go, breathing out of our mouth releases the buildup in the, the negative energy that's inside of us. Now we're going to do two deep breaths in and we're going to breathe in our nose and out of our nose. So we're going to breathe in, out your nose, in, and out your nose. And nose um, breathing, deep breathing through your nose, it helps to calm your nervous system. This is why we're calming your nervous system. And we're going to talk about some of your more work in a second before we even get to start taking notes. We're calming your nervous system because everything I'm saying right now is triggering something in you. It's triggering something in your amygdala, the fancy word for um, lizard brain. And li they call it lizard brain because it's the earliest um, part of the brain that was developed in prehistorical times. And it's the part of our brain that regulates fight, flight or fright. And what happens when your brain um, is in flight or fright mode is that you cannot logically think. You can't reason. There's no rational. There's, we just react. And topics such as this, is scary for a lot of us. I'm going to tell us why in a second. And so right now our brains are already tense and you probably notice that your body is clenched up. You're worried right now, am I going to say the thing that you already know and you don't want me to say? You're worried about what is this going to really confront in you? You're worried about what is this going to reveal to you that you need to change that you've been either avoiding or you didn't know how. You're really worried at the end of the day that somehow you are not good enough and you're not enough and I'm going to shed a light in that. So I'm going to tell you that no, you are already perfect who you are. So I know you can't rationalize and hear that right now. So we take breathing, we, we calm our nervous system by breathing in through our nose and out of our nose. So that's what we do. Just a quick tip, when you find yourself in the moment of stress, in your nose, out your nose, and do that a few times and slow down your breath. And it slows down your, your, um, your nervous system and it stops that fight or flight. It helps to address it. So that's one thing. So now that we did that, I'm going to take a sip and I'm going to give you some questions to um, answer for you to jot down. And if you're feeling extra brave, I want you to jot your answers down. But before I do that, is this resonating with anyone? What's landing with you right now? What's that like, oh shit moment that you just had right now? And while you do that, let me go back and read. Famira um, said, her favorite um, celebrity, her favorite question was the one about the celebrity alter ego. I always find that fun because I ask that question just not only because it's fun, because I find it really reveals a lot about who people wish that they were if they were completely uninhibited. So there was intentionality behind that question. 
Um, Callie said her favorite question was, um, the one that really made her think was, what is your greatest lesson from parents? Um, and I didn't go back and comment on people's um, pre-work yet, but that question is always helpful for me and it's gonna, we're actually gonna um, talk about that in a little bit because some of us had really great experiences growing up and some of us didn't have so great experiences growing up. But regardless of where you land, there is beauty in, in what you went through because you learned some lessons. And so I wanted us to start to peel back those layers about how do we become the people that we are. Okay. So Famira said, um, <laughs> stop telling your life. That's what that's the oh shit moment that you're having right now. Um, well, I'm glad that this is landing with you. So for me, self-love, and I gave a whole description um, in my in my original post about what I believe self-love is, but I want to first start talking about how we get our ideas about our worthiness and what is really happening currently in your life right now. Um, a lot of us, have you guys ever heard of the idea of having an inner child? Um, give me a, a type of one if you know what the inner child is. And then I'm going to ask someone either in the comments or even if you're watching the replay, just to write a quick blurb about what you think is the inner child. What do you guys understand already about what your inner child is? So I see some thumbs up and some hearts. Okay. So as you're doing that, um, when I think about inner child, I think about the person that we were when we were in our formative years, three, four, five, up until early teens, so I would say till about 12 or 13. They are the child that we was, and what children do at that age is that they create rules and, and they create rules and structure out of what's presented to them. So what happens is that they see something and they're not yet equipped yet to determine right or wrongness. They just know that that's the way it is. This hap um, mommies do this, daddies do this, people who love each other do this, homes look like this, food looks like this, relationships look like this. There's no right or wrongness to it, it just is because this is the moment when, they're, when all the seeds are being planted in their minds. And so what happens for many of us is that we have some kind of message that we learned very early on about not only how romantic relationships work, but our worthiness of love. And then what happens is we end up taking that inner child into our adult life. And a lot of times the way that we interact with others presently is a reflection of who, of what we believed to be true as children. So the first thing before I even tell you what you're going to do with that is I want you to jot this note down and say, what did I see and learn about love as a child? What did I learn and see and love as a child in terms of romantic relationships, in terms of family relationships, and in terms of myself as someone worthy of love? So let me jot that question down for you. If you're watching the replay or you're check checking the notes, um, Callie said, I think my inner child is the dope, uninhibited version of myself, willing to take more risks and try new things. Hmm. 
Famira said your younger self that was free in a lot of ways and then bound by others around them. So I think you guys are both speaking to two elements is that, um, is that on one hand, our inner child, our childhood, we, there was some carefreeness because there's a lot of what we didn't know, but at the same time we were receiving messages that we probably weren't even conscious of. So when you go back and you rewind the time and you look and you look back, you know, I really want you to examine it like a movie. What did you see happening around you? What was told to you and what kinds of interactions did you witness? And ask yourself the harder question of, did I feel loved? Did I feel 100% loved? And if so, or if not, what did I believe were the conditions of love? And the third question in that is, when I think back and I look to see what I believed about love, what I believed about love, what I saw, what I saw myself as valuable of, how is that showing up currently in my, cur in my current belief about what I deserve in love? I'm going to tell you this right now is that there's no right or wrong answer. If you say that I had this perfect experience with love and everything was perfect and nothing is showing up now that um, that denies that or contradicts that, then I think that you have some other work to do. Because the reality is that even if we grew up in the most perfect of circumstances, there's still some maladaptive parts in our lives currently. So let me give you an example. I'm going to give some scenarios. Let's say that you grew up in a two-parent home. You had the Cosby's. Let's say you grew up in the Cosby's. Then you grow into an adult relationship where, and I say Cosby's, I'm not talking about Bill Cosby, the person. We all know that he's clearly fucked up. We're talking about the Huxtables. Okay. Point. So let's say you had the Huxtables experience growing up. And as an adult, you still are having some struggles with love. You feel that disconnect that I was describing earlier. A possibility could be that you had um, you had Cle Cle was it Claire and Cliff Huxtable as your example, and you are now no longer seeing anyone measuring up to this to this standard that you've set. So that would be an example of how you can have a perfect experience growing up and still have challenges as an adult. The opposite for me, and when I started to do this inner child work, was that I, I grew up in an extremely codependent household. My parents were um, drug addicted, and um, I was the eldest of five, and, I, and part of my role as the eldest child, and, and, and if you know anything about growing up with, um, with addiction, is that you start to compensate for the instability by creating stability. But you take on adult responsibilities as a child. And so I always was a giver, a caretaker, um, a nurturer. I always created um, stability for everyone else around me because what I believed as a child was that if I create stability, 
If I extend myself, if I stop asking for what I need, then it's going to make things feel comfortable. It's going to make things feel um, secure. It's going to make things make things feel stable. And so I learned at an extremely early age in just even small ways of um, my parents never gave packed my lunch and they didn't give me lunch money every day. They didn't. And I never asked for it. And I never complained and I never pushed back. And from the age of seven, seven, like my daughter is nine now. And I think about a second grader, seven. I made it my responsibility to get lunch every day. And I made and I felt like that was my responsibility to figure out. And I also thought the shame of asking the as asking the school secretary for money every day. I thought that was my responsibility. And so what that translated into as an adult is that um, when people were not doing the basics for me, I excused it. And I thought that it was OK and that I could make it work. I can make it do what it do. And I thought that I was responsible for not making them feel ashamed for their situation and that I was supposed to eat it. Like, that's just what I believed. And I didn't even question it. Come on in. Can I get a piece of paper? A piece of paper for what? I need to get this spelling roots. Yes. Um, and the reason why I'm bringing up these examples of what our inner children do is because a lot of times we're not aware of that it's in our inner child operating. We don't, we're not aware that our adult selves are actually not in control a lot of times, that it's really our inner selves that are in, our inner children that are in control. They're the ones that are actually running our lives right now. So my big assignment that I'm going to ask you to do for today is as you take stock of, and this might be number four of, what were those things that you saw and came to be? How did, how did those beliefs, uh, how is it, is it showing up currently? So what are those examples of, inner, of things that you did as a child or you saw as a child that is still happening right now? That's what I really want you to figure out. How, where, how much control does your inner child have right now? And I'm going to say this as a caveat. There's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. And I will promise you, like I believe in my own breath, you cannot do the work of loving yourself more until you face your inner child. So your, your homework assignment for tonight, and then I'm going to give you a bonus because I have some ambitious people. So your homework assignment tonight is I want you to list out, literally take um, a bullet point, and I want you to list out all of the ways that what you saw as a child is that you are still operating as that child today. I want you to write it out. Here's the bonus, and I'm going to tell you the bonus in a second um, as I read after I read these comments. So let me put recaps the homework. I said, I didn't see love in a loving way. It was more of that I'm providing for you, so I love you. And feel loved. And the special statements for me that continue to serve. Mm. So, Callie, what it makes me wonder in 
is that because I, I'm assuming two things about you, and I promise I'm not saying this as a breach of confidence, just reading that comment. What it makes me wonder is if you accept someone providing for you as loving or good enough, and it makes me wonder what your feelings are about feelings. It really makes me wonder how secure and comfortable you are with feeling the range of emotions. I'm gonna give you an example again for me. So as I was doing this work, I realized that I only felt two emotions, anger and like extreme happiness. Everything else for me was just very black or white. I operated, I call it my Olivia Pope face. I was deadpan on the, you know, of course I can laugh and joke and have fun, but I was always perceived as serious. Um, and one of the, the side effects of that is that I wasn't aware of all the spectrum of feelings in between. And the problem, the reason why that was a problem for me, because I didn't see it as a problem. To me, I thought it was, a, I thought it was good because nothing was going to ruffle my feathers. No one was going to kick me off my A game. Like you couldn't fuck with me because like there is nothing you can say that's going to shake me or whatever. And then you can try it, but like I didn't, I wasn't easily rattled. The problem though was that I wasn't aware that I was angry until I was already on 10. And like I explained to you about the fight or flight in your amygdala and that you can't reason is that once I was at 10, I couldn't stop myself. Once I was at 10, I was wrecking shop. I was kicking down doors. I was breaking shit. I was cussing you smooth out and telling you about your mama, your daddy, your grandmama, why you ain't shit, why they ain't shit, and why your whole family would never be shit. Like, that's where I was. And I would always feel intense shame afterwards and wonder, like, why couldn't I stop this? Like, why couldn't I stop reacting that way when it was so harmful? But it was because I didn't, I wasn't aware of what all my feelings were up to that. So I didn't know when I was at a level five, six, or seven. I only was aware when it was at a nine or 10. And so part of that was because I learned at an early age not to feel emotion. To me, I thought emotions meant weakness. I thought feeling love, that's bullshit. Like who has time for that? And it's just going to set you up and harm you. To this day, it is a struggle for me to watch romance movies because I remember deciding that I hated romantic comedies because it was bullshit. The shit never happened. And I don't want to see no lovey-dovey happy, happily ever after because that's fantasy and fantasies end up hurting my feelings. Believing in fantasies hurt. That's what I told myself from a very young age. And part of my work was getting in touch with my emotions. Here's what I will say is my caveat that I've learned. It's okay to feel. Feeling is actually an extremely beautiful thing. And we actually know and are able to perceive and interact so much more fluidly in the world when we allow our feelings to guide that. And I also know through last year's experiences that no matter what I feel, the extreme lows or the extreme highs, it won't kill me. Even though I feel like I was free falling and I felt like I didn't know which end was up, I didn't die. I didn't die. I actually survived. And then I started to do more than survive. I started to thrive. And then I started to trust my gut because I actually felt feelings. And I can say, mm, that's a wink or a nudge. It may not be an eight or nine or 10 if that person is full of shit, but it's a six. And I started to be able to trust myself more. And the more I was able to trust myself, the more I was able to have experiences that confirmed that my feelings mattered and that I actually knew what I was doing. And then I started to really um, see myself as valuable and capable in love. So 
that was a really big knowing for me. And I venture, and I would push for anyone who's watching that, is to do this work because you'll start to notice how it's showing up and how it might be holding you back. Famira said, love was duality. So in some ways it was unconditional, in other ways very conditional. Nothing was enough. Yeah. I would, I would wonder, Famira, as you think about that lesson in, in the duality that you had, I would wonder how those two, those two play a role in your life now. And I didn't say this in the beginning, so let me say it now, that when I'm talking about love, I'm talking about more than just romantic love. I'm talking about family relationships and I'm talking about self-love as well, too. So I'm being very loose with the term intentionally. Famir, of course I'm making you go deep on day one. Like, I would not be who I am if I didn't. Um, yeah, Callie, the feeling all the feels is kind of like, shit. Yeah. So I'm noticing this trend of denying and stuffing our feelings. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. And maybe I should have set this as a ground rule is to be, to give your permission, give yourself permission to accept whatever you feel during these moments, during this, this challenge. This is what I mean by accepting how you feel. I'm going to give you a very tactical thing. For those of us that this is not easy to do or doesn't come second nature, let me give you like a real practical tool and strategy. So how many people have ever meditated? Even if you did it for play play, for real, you did it for two minutes, you did it for 50 minutes or you've been to an ashram in India. Just give me a thumbs up or some kind of signal to let me know that you know what meditation is and you've ever tried it. And hey to my number three person, roll call, tell me who you are. I see you. I love you. So regardless of your length of experience with meditation, you know that there's typically a rug or a mat that you're on. And when we get on that mat, what happens? Our brain goes every single where. And we're like, fuck, I'm trying to meditate. But this keeps coming up and this keeps coming up and this keeps coming up. Stop it. I'm trying to meditate. That is the wrong approach to have. And that's why I would venture to say 90% of people don't meditate because they get frustrated and stressed by all the things that come up. All things coming up is completely normal. It's completely normal. It's natural. And most of us do not begin in this completely blank Zen space. Like it takes time and practice. So here's the practice. When something comes up, notice it and then go back to the rug. Here's an example of what I mean. You're not judging it. You're simply naming it and then setting it on the rug. So if you're meditating or whatever, oh, look, it's a pen. You're putting it down. Oh, look, it's a phone. And you're putting it down. So what that does is that you are not judging it. You're not feeling ashamed or you're not feeling guilty or you're not feeling upset that something is coming up. You're simply naming it. And then you're giving yourself permission to set it, as Ayanna Van Zandt says, on your left shoulder. You can just set it to the side. And you, you might even need to say to yourself, oh, it's a phone. I'm going to set it there until later. If you need to say that self-speak to yourself in the, mo in the moment, that's okay. Oh, there's a pen. I'm going to set it over here and come back to the rug. 
So what I want you to do is the same thing with your feelings. Callie, so I think you'll be able to do this exercise. As you're doing this work and feelings come up, don't judge it. Don't psychoanalyze it. Don't guilt it away. Don't feel ashamed. Don't do any work around it. Just notice it. It's like, oh, I noticed I clenched up then. Let me relax and come back to what I'm doing. Oh, I noticed a memory came up. Let me notice it and put it to the side. So just notice it. It's called just noticing. When you notice something, when you're casually walking down the street, you notice things multiple times a second. You don't judge every single thing. Your brain would explode if you tried. You just notice it. So I want you to just notice with feelings. So here's your bonus number one. This is for my overachievers. Notice what feelings come up. Don't judge it. Don't analyze it. Don't explain it. Don't guilt it. Don't feel ashamed. Don't ask why. Don't do anything. Notice it. Name it. Rest it. Decide. Here's your bonus number two for my real overachievers, real, real overachievers. Bonus number two, so we talked about identifying what your inner child is doing and who she is and how she's showing up right now. If you are feeling called to right now, I want you to write a letter or have a conversation with your inner child. And I want the conversation to say, thank you. I want you to thank your inner child for the way that she served you when you were young, the way that she's showing up and she's trying to protect you now. I want you to thank her for working so hard to, to help you be the beautiful person that you are right now. And I want you to give her permission that her work is done, that you thank, you thank her, you notice her, you acknowledge her, and she can rest. Because the adult you, the fully full you, the fully realized you, the healthy you, the unapologetic you is ready to do the work to step to that. This is why it's so important for you to notice and to name your inner child. The more you do this work, you will start to notice who is the one that's interacting in your relationships. You'll start to notice, is that really me or is that my inner child? And I'm going to be really real without calling any names. There are people in my life that are stuck. And I'm not even talking about romantic relationships stuck. They are stuck deeply unhappy with who they are, deeply unhappy with um, their job and deeply unhappy with the work that they're doing and deeply unhappy with their finances, so all of the symptoms, all of the external stuff. And when I look at those people that are deeply unhappy, and remember I said that that was me too, it's because they're still trying to operate out of their inner child. They haven't noticed her, reconciled her, or let her rest. And so they're trying to do these adult things and get these things by operating as a child. And there's no shame in that. It's just that, you know, as the Bible says, that when you became, I'm going to mess up the verse, but when you became 
grown, you put childish things away. And a lot of us haven't yet done that work yet to put the child self away. So that's what I have for you guys today. And my daughter is getting excited because this means that she's past her bedtime and she gets to be up since I'm here with you guys. But I would love to, before I hop off and close, I would love to hear either your questions what do you what what's coming up for you? What questions are you thinking right now? Um, let's start there. What questions do you have so far as you're starting to consider these questions? And whoever my number three is, introduce yourself right now, right now. Introduce yourself right now. See, I'm taking it back to the 80s. Y'all know nothing about that. Callie, you know I'm going to bring in the scripture, so I, I said you got to be sitting at the intersection to be here in the road with me. I honor and I love and I value and I treasure my Christian upbringing. I would not be the woman that I am today without it. I am indebted to my ancestors for not just what they've been through, but the way that they have always brought church and spirituality and they brought a bigger self to this work, that they never knew that they were operating in isolation and they never believed that where they are right now is because that they did something wrong. That they always knew that they were connected to a higher being and a higher purpose. And so even though I do not identify as Christian today, I still acknowledge and pay respect to my Christian roots. And there's just so much to learn and so much beauty in, um, in Christianity as well. So if you don't have any questions, um, I'm going to ask us to end with this. Um, Callie said that's before your time. Mm. Hey, Tina. Um, I would like to end with this. I would love to hear what is one thing that you're taking away from, from today's conversation? What's one thought, aha, just something that you're taking away? So, Tina, um, what I've been doing and trying to be really conscious of is that as I've been going through and naming the work, I think it's really important to watch the video. But if you're not able to or if you just want to cheat sheets to go through the comments, because I've typed up all the questions and the homework there. So one aha that you're walking away with now. So this is my teacher side and kicking. You can't leave until you to be closed out. You got to tell me something you learned today. boo. I got to know. It's my check but understanding. Mm, not being able to acknowledge things. Tina, I think that's really powerful. So often we worry that we don't have the answers or, or the solutions to whatever it is that comes up. So therefore, we don't want to acknowledge it. And we're afraid of leaving things undone, especially as women who, as all of us are, are, you know, we, we are overachievers. We work. We believe in just like kicking ass. And so to have something undone is really uncomfortable for us. And like I said to you guys before, just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean it's going to kill you. You can be uncomfortable and still and still be alive. So these feelings are not going to kill you. Having Doing this work and seeing it as a process isn't going to kill you, but it's going to be uncomfortable, but you're equipped for this. Um, Callie says she's re relieving her inner child from her post. Yeah. Send her away to, to, the, to the area of wherever inner children go, the spirit world, send them back to their ancestors, to the angels, to the Orishas, to, your, to the heavenly realm. They're done. 
it's time. Amira, I'm glad that that landed for you, that acknowledging the feelings is okay. Mm, being the child of addiction and how it was showing up in your adult life. It's it's so interesting that we just start to do things so much out of habit that we can't even we forget where it came from and we forget that it actually had a, a, a beginning. And when we forget that it has a beginning, we don't realize we are unable to say, is that coping mechanism we learned at age five, six, seven, is it still relevant today? Because we have those coping mechanisms for a certain circumstance, but we're unable when we don't stop and examine and look at a thing, then we're unable to say, does that still serve me today? Is that still the same situation? Is that still the same circumstance? Like, um, you guys ever heard that story about, um, and I've heard it be told in churches and many places before about how there's a married, a newlywed couple. And a newlywed couple were arguing on their first night home. They're arguing about how to make pot roast. And the husband said, you make it this way. And the wife was like, no, you don't. You're supposed to cut off both ends. And that's how you make a pot roast. And they were arguing over and over again about, you know, what's the proper way. So the girl, the woman calls her, her mom and was like, mom, why do we make it that way? She's like, I don't know, but that's the way my Nana taught me. And I mean, that's the way my mom taught me. And your Nana said was to make the pot roast. And you have to cut off both ends. So they called grandma and they said, Grandma, why do you, why do you, how was that the right way to cook pot roast? And she goes, I don't know. That's just the way that I was taught how to make pot roast. But, and then they're also, now we have three generations saying that's the way you're supposed to do it because that's how we were taught. And then when they go to great grandma and they say, well, great grandma, um, we, you know, we're having this fight about the proper way to make pot roast and we all know you're supposed to cut off both ends. Why do we do it that way? And the great grandma said, because when I got married, I didn't have a pot big enough to fit the whole pot roast. So there was a reason that started off four generations ago, but because we never examined a thing, we just started replicating it over and over and over again. And, we, and it became real. It became the truth. It became the way. And a lot of times when we don't stop and examine our inner child, that happens in our life. We just do things this way because it's the way that we've always done it without stopping and saying, was the what was the original intention behind it? And is it done now? Is it done? Are you still living in that circumstances where you still need that thing? Or is it just because that's the habit that we came up? So thank you ladies so much for, um, for sharing and participating. So sharing in this conversation, thank you guys for allowing this to be a dialogue and not just me talking to myself with my, with my um, whiskey and pineapple. Um, thank you for really um, being present and sharing what you're thinking, you're feeling and allowing me to serve you better and then also serve other people that may not be yet at that place of, of sharing what's really going on in their heart or they're simply catching the replay. So thank you, ladies. I'm going to go ahead and end and then we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place with day two.